right, hello and welcome to Between the Liars with Ryan, and I have a very special guest today. Today we are joined by Nikki from Red Girl in a Blue World. Hi, everybody. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Ryan. Now, I did go on Nikki's show. I think it was like the first or second episode. It was, Yeah, it was right in the <laughs> beginning. It was, it was like the second real episode. So that was so awesome. I've gotten so much great feedback on that episode. So. Yeah, and we've finally been able to return the favor and have her back on our show. So welcome. Thank <laughs> you. Excited I'm to have you here. And uh, we're going to talk about uh, feminism. Again, this is a part two. So last week we talked uh, with Tony Talks. And we got more on the intersectional topic. And so we were like, man, there's just it's such such a broad topic. Like we really mm-hmm. need a part two. And so today we're gonna focus a little bit more on radical feminism. As always, we go wherever the rabbit trail takes us. So <laughs> uh, let's see, just for those who might not be aware, radical feminism was the one that emerged a little bit more in the 1960s. This is the idea that there are like basically innate power structures. Tony mentioned the fact that this is more um, Marxist in its roots, so more like socialistic, communistic, Marxist specifically, because when you the, the ideas behind Marxism are that there's power struggle. Now, Marx talks about how you have the bourgeoisie and you have the working class. And now radical feminism takes the idea to say that there are oppressors and oppressed. And so they would argue that men are oppressors and that the patriarchal system, the way that it's designed, is inherently oppressive to women, therefore must be torn down. So, Nikki, why don't we just start very broad. What are your general thoughts on that approach to feminism? Um, I, radical feminism in general... I I can't agree with at all. I think the idea that men are oppressors and women are the oppressed is kind of ridiculous. At this point, society has, we have reached a point where women can vote. You have your like first wave feminism that happened when like we uh, fought for the right to vote, for when when women fought fought for the right to vote. And when we achieved that goal, we achieved what we wanted to achieve. So anything really after that, that pushes like for feminism to me is just kind of what do what are we fighting for at this point because we have now gained equality to men so why are we continuing to fight for something that we already have so i think just by this idea of men being the oppre- uh, oppressors and women being the pre- oppressed is it just a way to continue this fight that doesn't need to be fought anymore so what, what would you say then as someone who says that, uh, well, one, the, the wage gap is brought up. And we talked a little bit about that last time. One of the things that I mentioned is that if you actually account for the specific predictor variables, that wage gap and those sources were also linked here just because it's not just me going off. It's really more like 98, 99 cents on the dollar, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm, in, I'm in the arts. I'm, I'm a college professor. There are plenty of women who work in the STEM field who make much, much more than I do. That's not a gender-based thing, right? That's an interest-based yeah. thing. So when you account for those in the surveys, it starts to get a lot closer. But there are people who, who tend to think that women have a much harder time. Um, I think that we did get off on the subject that in the workplace, the communication is more gendered. tends to be more favorable towards males, right? So if you speak up, if you're more assertive, that is rewarded. Women who are having to kind of almost speak a second language. Let's say if you are a female who is, that doesn't come as naturally, or like me, right? Like being assertive is not something that necessarily comes naturally. I like to avoid conflict. I like to smooth things over. You're almost speaking a second language at that point. That is what they would call an obstacle. And they would say, that's why we need this. What what would what would you say to that? So I think that there are a lot of like reasons for like things like wage gap. For me, I chose 
the profession of being a teacher. I'm not going to make somebody as much as somebody who went into a finance field, right. whether that be male or female, but I chose that field. I think that happens often where women choose something that like an occupation that they want because that that's what they their dreams are in life. That's what mine was. And that just doesn't make more of something else. Or if like, let's say they did choose a field like finance, more often than not, eventually they're going to get maternity leave. And then maybe they want to stay home with their kids once they're there and stuff like that, which mm. also contributes to that. So I think a lot of it comes from personal choice. And then I do think also you have that idea of like being assertive and things like that, that could go into it. But overall, I do think a lot of personal choice goes into it. And I don't think that is taken account for most often in these arguments because I, I, I see that all the time. And I don't, I don't, I think being a mother is probably the best thing that a woman can do. So I'm like, if you're choosing that, then you also can't argue, which most, most women don't who did choose that, that you're not making as much as men in the workforce because of that. Now you mentioned an important other topic here, which is the choice to either raise children in the workplace or choose to be a stay at home mother. And we live in a free country. You can choose whichever you prefer. Now, mm -hmm. it can vary based off your financial decisions. There might be families where maybe she would like to be a stay-at-home mother, but they can't afford to. How do you think the, the modern feminist movement has impacted the way people who would prefer to stay at home now? Like, how do you think that that makes yeah. them feel about themselves or like the societal norms? Yeah. So I think modern fem feminism has really taken out the femininity of women in, ge in a general sense, I think that women don't want to show their femininity, which is where your mothering instinct comes from, your instinct to help people and everything like that. And I think that women don't want any part of that because it. I think they think it makes them like vulnerable, but I don't think that's the case. I think that showing our femininity, acting feminine is probably the most powerful thing you can do as a woman. And so I think when women choose to stay home, they... Um, when they choose to stay home, they're choosing to act on that femininity that they have. And I have been in scenarios um, with like family and friends where people are judging others for wanting to stay home with their kids. Mm -hmm. And then I've had discussion and been like, no, I think you're doing what you are meant for and what you're called to do. And the most important thing you can do. The mother is the center of the family unit and you need her to take care of your kids, raise your kids with the certain value, morals and values that you want them to have. And if you don't have that mother doing that most often on stay at home dads, props to you if that's your role. But I think that that's what we're meant to do. So I think that argument is kind of just tearing down the femininity of a woman, which I said is like our most powerful asset. Now, I have seen this play out a little bit. Um, with the little bit of time that I've had in the workplace and that and, and this specific scenario would be if there is a woman in the workplace who decides to show more of a feminine side than some of the co-workers who let's just say that they aren't necessarily deliberately misogynistic but then they just kind of tend to assume that all right she's steering into this let's we're not, we're not going to consider her quite as much for whether it be promotion or maybe she's you know the designated secretary for note taking maybe she wants to be but like it, it seems like that kind of might shift over into that's just the assumption and this movement would have a big pushback to that and say that that shouldn't be the assumption. You shouldn't assume it's because she's a woman because she wants those roles and those roles shouldn't be considered inferior, but they also, we don't want this assumption. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think whatever like a woman chooses to do, like in the workplace, if she decides to pursue her career or stay at home, like I think no matter what, she should be showing off those feminine aspects. And I think making those types of assumptions is unfair because 
I think a lot of women now like do do feel more power and being assertive and wanting to, to make their stand and do important things, especially in their career. So I think like making those assumptions is like completely unfair for those women who want those things and strive for those things because I know plenty of women who are pursuing careers and doing amazing in the workforce and to make those assumptions about them would just would just be wrong because they are I think in those cases like working just as hard as those men there so I think showing their femininity would just be it's just not right to do to them when they are working hard and everything like that too. Yeah. And and I think that this really pulls up the importance of the nuance, why we need these conversations, right? Because the feminist mm-hmm. movement, the first wave especially, started with something that, you know, unless you're kind of an asshole, like you, you don't really have a problem with that, right? Uh, yeah. But then as we've moved forward with these different things that have been added, we start seeing that there are more toxic traits that can come out if they reach their final form. And that was really what mm-hmm. we talked with uh, with Tony and Danny last week was that a lot of times these start as something good. But then it winds mm-hmm. up becoming a little bit more toxic, almost overcorrecting, if you will. Yes. Example of I, this. Mm-hmm. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think that's exactly what happened with radical feminism. Because mm-hmm. like I said, I think first wave feminists achieved their goal. And then they were just trying to get, get more when we they achieved their goal. So I, again, like I said, I think first wave feminism, great. But we had, and if I were to be a, a, categorize myself as any type of feminist, it would be first wave. But we achieved the goals they're looking for. So I will stay where it, the goal was achieved. I don't need... I don't need more than what we got there. Yeah. Uh, one example of the overcorrection that I've seen even on the college campus was when I was an undergrad way back when uh, there was uh, they just did. I don't remember what event it was, but my social studies professor, um, very big feminist and wonderful woman, loved her. Honestly, her mm-hmm. class was one of my favorite classes. She was very much a career-driven woman. She excelled at what she did. She taught the mock trial, very involved in the political science field, very esteemed at the university um, in that field. And she and some other women, um, I, I would assume it was from one of the feminist groups, had a table, a little booth, and they had a bunch of boxes of cereal, and the sign said, this is how a feminist cooks. And I was like, okay, I know this is a joke, but at the same time, I was like, I really think that if the, the message of the feminist movement, which I had heard my instructor say in class was, we want to empower women to do what they want to do, then I feel like that message, that that's how a feminist cooks, <laughs> sends, overcorrection, the wrong message here, that unless you are successful in the career, then you're not truly a feminist, you're not truly a woman. And to me, I feel like that's where we get into a little bit more of the dangerous waters. What do you think on that? Yeah, and I well, I like her statement on feminism to empower women to do what they want. Is that, is that what Basically, she said? Basically, yeah. And I think that um, sometimes I could get – could be twisted. But for the most part, I agree with that statement. I think women should be able to do what they want. I think the issue comes in where women think they can't do that or other people perceive women as saying like they're – they're not able to get as far in their career or no, they shouldn't stay at home and be a mom, even if that's either of those things is what they want to do. So I think that that statement is good. And we should just like stick with that statement because when women think that I'm not whatever, I can't do this because I'm not getting paid as much as men are. When other people look at women and say, well, she's not gonna be able to do that because she's a woman. I think that that's where like the misconceptions come in because I do think, like we said, first wave feminism achieved what they needed to achieve where like women can vote women economically in their jobs do the same thing as men technically and there are some jobs obviously that are more like physical that i think women won't excel in as much as men simply because we're built differently and 
just can't perform as well as men in those areas. But anything that's like, um, like in the sciences or like in the finances, I don't, maybe there's probably other fields I just like can't think of right now. Um, but like engineering, I think those like women can really do whatever they want and choose whatever they want. And I just think when you get, have all these other different sources saying, well, no, they can't do that because of this reason, or they shouldn't do that because of this, you're, it, you then get all of these diff- different communication and that type of thing where you're like, well, if women can't do this and they are subjected to the kitchen, <laughs> that's, I think that's just wrong too. So, yeah. Well, so one of the important, uh, one of the points that you raised, I think is really important. And, and another great thing to jump off of here is you were talking about how uh, the women in the STEM field and last week, uh, one of the things that I pointed out when it comes to the issues with just saying the pay gap is just gendered as opposed to there are personal choices and other things is when, um, and, and this was all in the source that I uploaded, I encourage you to look at it and check it out for yourself. Don't take yeah. my word for it. Uh, but <laughs> Women, when they go into the STEM field, tend to also more often than not go towards the areas in the STEM field that pay at the lower end of the STEM field. So, for example, like petroleum engineering, it's going to be a little bit more dangerous, going to be a little bit more messy, a lot more blue collar, and that is dominated by men. It's also paying like close to 200000 a year. Right? I think it was something like 150000 200000 It's very high end of the STEM spectrum. So not only do women more often than men tend to go into the arts, they also tend to go into the lower paying end of the fields. And and, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. Where I think the feminist critique might be valid, and I'm curious your thoughts on this, is the the phrase the boys club, right? So because it's a male-dominated field, women can be not just expected to kind of communicate with more of the with the gendered language portions as a man more assertive, et cetera, but can also be made more uncomfortable um, by the men, not just the fact that there are more men than women, but the way that the men talk, the way that the men act in that field. What are your thoughts on that? How do you think that might affect women? So I think that that could be valid, but my thing for here, and I'm, I'll start by like comparing it to other things. I think that no matter what you do, if you're going into something where you're, I guess you could say like the outcast in any, I feel like sort of career, you do kind of need to work like even harder to like make your stance and be like, no, I can do it. Mm -hmm. So instead of looking at it and be like, well, that's like the boys club and whatever, I'm not going to be able to fit in. I think you should work just double as hard as them Mm -hmm. do like really excel in what you can do. And they can be like, wow, she's a woman and she's doing that. Like that's impressive. Like that's crazy. And then you're like blowing their minds while also excelling in your job and what you want to do. So I think kind of looking at that is kind of already, uh, you're kind of talking down to yourself and being like, I can't do it Mm -hmm. because there's this, group of men and they're doing all these things like I think and I think that really goes for anything not just for women if you're a man going into a field I don't know um I don't have an example off the top of my head but I think if you're like more of like the outcast in anything that you're doing and you work double triple as hard then you will excel and people will notice Mm -hmm. so that would be my response to that I think I wouldn't I wouldn't go into it thinking you can't or shouldn't Mm -hmm. I would go into it being like well I'm gonna work twice as hard as these men and prove them all wrong Mm -hmm. One of my speech and debate students when I was doing my master's at Murray State, she uh, was one of my best debaters, and she was also going into um, engineering. I forget which specific facet of engineering, but it was, was kind of like OSHA, uh, more like uh, the oversight and like structural engineering portion, I believe it was. And she had mentioned to me at one of our meetings uh, about how there was just like – 
not uneducated, but like very insensitive men in a lot of her classes who did have a lot of those misogynistic tendencies towards her. And she would correct them. And I was like, you know, I think that that's an important thing that might be overlooked with some of the approaches of the modern feminist movement. If you take the the ideas, the Marxist ideas of the radical feminism of, well, we just need to tear down the system, right? That's the ultimate Pokemon evolution, if you will, of this movement is tear it down, make it equal, but but not just equal opportunity, equal outcome. There is, for a lot of people in that movement, I think, a very large entitlement portion, mm-hmm. right? Versus yeah. this competitor, what she would do in that situation, she would stop she would correct them. She'd be very firm, very polite, but like she would, she would, she would expect that respect and didn't approach it as, oh, well, like, you know, I expect you to give this to me, but like, look at what I'm doing. I'm excelling on the team. I should be treated as your equals. Literally, the only reason you're not treating me like this is because I'm a woman, right? And I think that her being in that field, if it's a male dominated field, then they don't have someone speaking to them in that way, enlightening them in that way. So I feel like there's almost this this double bind, right? So if they, if they wait until the field is just made to be 50-50, which if we're honest, I don't think uh, most feminists even want. Because if they did want it truly 50-50, we would not start with, let's talk about the cushy jobs. Let's talk about the fact that men tend to dominate the blue-collar fields and women aren't exactly flocking to those areas. There are, you can certainly find women in those fields, but we're talking like uh, construction, driving trucks, truck, so like uh, long-haul trucking, mm-hmm. um, the jobs that are not as glamorous and incredibly difficult, especially yeah. if you're trying to have a family, right? Like I've known people who were long-haul truckers. They're gone all the time can't really raise a family that way so if you you know if, if you don't have a person in the family who can be home with the kids and then at that point you're still not getting the two-parent structure that most people think i want to be with my family so it can be very very difficult for them to get into and, and my issue here is is just to point out i don't think that we should be guilting women or forcing women to make it 50 50 because i think women should be able to go where they want to go and they tend to go into the arts and they also when they go into the stem field tend to go into specific areas and i think that that's fine and i think that what we should be saying here is emphasizing again instead of that overcorrection do what you want and also Mm -hmm. let's not kind of (laughs) like do the friendly fire uh, for women who who are not interested in going in specific areas yeah, I agree. And I think you mentioned an important point about the um, uh, outcome versus opportunity, because I think that it is equal opportunity across the board. Yep. And I think like kind of like I said, like you're already putting yourself down by thinking you wouldn't be able to do something because it's male dominated. Mm-hmm. But like you said, we don't talk about those fields that women really don't flock to. Yeah. And often and it is in the arts and the, well, everywhere it is. But when you see you see it in the arts, it is equal opportunity. And the arts is, is a field I think that you do need women to have have it be what it is Mm. and like many other things but I think that it is important that like it is equal opportunity and that's what we have so like you said we're so focused on the outcome but that also you get what you give so like I said if you're giving double triple you're you will see the results Mm. in your paycheck and everything like that too so I I think it's just important to work hard. And I think that that's also a a value as a society as a whole that we're like losing um, the idea of like working hard and wanting to work hard because we just want like instant gratification and that does not happen. So, Well, and this is a bit of a parallel 
<laughs> rabbit trail here uh, with the idea of the American dream. And I think that a lot of times people say, well, the American dream is dead. And I think that when more often than not, I find that when people say that they forget what the American dream was, the American dream was not like you were just talking about instant gratification. It is I have opportunity to make a better life for my family and more specifically one, two, three generations from now. Mm-hmm. Right. Like I'm like a fourth generation immigrant from this country, from Scandinavian countries. My grandparents came over uh, Swedish, Norwegian, Denmark like that. That's where my mm-hmm. if you can't tell by how pale I am, that's where my ancestry is <laughs> from. They started their own business because there was the opportunity to do so. And they didn't see that growth in their lifetime. It went to the second generation. So my grandparents. Mm-hmm. Right. And I yeah. think that people like you were saying, want that instant gratification. And that's fine. Like we, we live in a society and we're going to get to this in a second with social media. Right. That's really shaped. And there's no, not necessarily anything inherently wrong with that. But I think that we really need to dissect is the quote unquote inequality or inequity coming from. I don't want to say invalid, but like basically the the wrong type or the wrong timeline on your expectations, right? Because it can't just be, I expect to be a manager. Like, no, like I had to go to school. Like I had, you know, like I, <laughs> you need certain yeah. qualifications and it doesn't mean, I don't know. I hate jumping on the, the boomer bandwagon of like, well, you have to pay your dues and be miserable because I was miserable. But there is something to be said about that too. Like you, you have to, like you were saying, you were exactly correct. You have to demonstrate I am just as capable. Like you can't just, you know, I, I don't know. Like I, I just, I don't, especially in the academic field, which is where I'm at. I've never once looked at my female colleagues and thought, nah, they can't do as good a job as me. Like I have looked at individuals, both male and female and said, all right, you're just not trying. You don't care, et cetera. But that was never gender based. Yeah. Yeah. And often I feel like thoughts like that, like aren't, I feel like we see people all the time. We're like, you probably like could try harder yeah. and get the results that you want to see. And again, like I said, I think that goes for like all aspects of life. You see people who are like male and female. I just like, I just want to lose weight. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to like what to do. And it's like, just start small and start like making little changes and start trying. And then you'll eventually see the results you want to see. I see it all the time. It's like two weeks till like uh, you notice it, like four weeks till your friends see it, eight weeks till like everybody, whatever, everybody notices. Right. And I just feel like once you find a place to start and like work hard, like you can really you'll see the changes. Yeah. No, I think you're exactly correct. And again, all of this, like I said last week, all of this can be true. Two things can be true at once. This can be true. And there can also be individual acts of racism, sexism, et cetera, homophobia that prevent people from advancing. This is not to deny the individual experiences of women who have had a less competent coworker advanced over them. They've been passed over because I've seen this happen. I've had friends that this has happened to. And that is a problem with the manager. And the issue with like the systemic issue at that point is for good reason, right? We don't want just frivolous accusations crippling someone's career but the other end of that right if the if the cogs of justice move slowly there are women who are not getting the justice they deserve and they more often than not just have to leave the company if if they need a better situation like they don't get that justice all the time and and i think that that is something that even the modern ways of feminism point out that like i can jump on board with that what i can't jump on board with is basically the assertion that because i am an, a, a male or if i'm in a managerial or a, a p- position of power 
it, honestly, it's quite offensive to me to have someone say that it's just because, you know, you're a white male, right? Like, or, or the underlying and, assumption. <laughs> yeah. And I think that all goes back to the idea of the oppressor and the oppressed because yes. immediately because you are a white male, you are automatically oppressing any right. any female that works for you or yep. anything like that. So I think it really goes back to that idea. And one point I want to make about radical feminism is that to me, I do think it tears down like every aspect of what it means to be a woman. And I think you see yeah. it very often now, especially with um, everything in the transgender realm and things like that. Like you really do see them tearing down every aspect of what it means to be a woman. Um, so, and when you do that, like you are just devaluing a woman in every sense of the word. Mm-hmm. So then when, when you get to a situation like that, how do you expect to stand up for yourself when you don't, you don't even know anymore what it means for you to be a woman and what you can do and everything like that too. Mm-hmm. So that's just a point I want to make because I think like radical feminism, like you said, is kind of going backward and taking steps backward. And I think that's one of them that people aren't recognizing mm-hmm. the importance and the qualities of a woman and why it's so important to society, most important because like of the family unit and everything like that. But just in general, like for you to feel empowered, I think that true empowerment comes from embracing your femininity. Mm-hmm. One thing that I've found is very easy to do, and this is also true of the feminist movement, is it's very easy to point out issues in the status quo. And whether we're talking about socialism, communism, whatever, um, I think that it, it, what, one caution that I was given at one point, and I, I really liked this, was do not it, – it's basically it, – it's a fallacy to compare the flaws of a current system to the utopian idealistic beliefs of something that is not – there, right? Like communism is a great example of that, or even socialism. We we see small aspects, but like the radical changes that are pushed, right? Especially from like Josh, Chris from the Alt Left podcast, um, when they've been on here, it's they they're pushing for more of the final evolution. They're not just not not just like the Denmark, like you know the the Scandinavian country versions with high tax rates. They're talking true socialism, or in this case, true feminism. Uh, let's tear down the system. You're comparing flaws, which are valid, and we need to go after and we need to fix, mm-hmm. to a utopian society that doesn't exist. And that can create a false comparison, I think. So, like, it, it's also very easy as a podcaster, as a commentator, to sit back and say, yeah, I don't like this member of Congress or that policy. And it's like, you know, and that's valid. We can do that. What's a lot, a lot harder is to say, here's the change I'd propose. So, like, if and, – and this is not to put you on the spot. I'm just thinking, like, just – broader conversation at large let's talk about like rather than just tear down the system you got to rebuild it after that right like and and we have standards we have a standard of living what would we want different like what what like you were mentioning earlier nikki you're saying that you think that they've achieved the equality in the first wave that like they were really going for what more do they want and and i think that one thing and we've seen this in in um, the current administration's attempt to place people in the cabinet, it's very much based off of identity politics. Sometimes they're more blatant about that, sometimes they're not. But the idea here is the press secretaries. We had Jen Psaki was not the first woman secretary, but it was very, very good, regardless of qualifications. Um, and I think she did fine with her job. I have my own gripes, but that's, that's not the point. Uh, <laughs> but because she was a woman, this was good, right? And then the current press secretary we were not told or reassured of, ah, yes, she's had X, Y, and Z experiences in this, therefore she's a qualified candidate. It was, this is the first, I believe she called herself the first person of color, she's a woman, and she's a part of the LGBTQ community. And that was the qualifications that were presented. And I think that what 
modern feminism tries to put is it doesn't matter the qualifications, doesn't matter the opportunities, it matters equitable outcome, right? We need to see 50% and 50%, unless we don't want it to. That's how it comes across to me, right? Like we don't want 50-50 in the blue collar jobs, but we do want, so to me, I would say this is more of a feminist buffet, right? They, they want to pick and choose, and even, I'm fine even with that to an extent, but if you're going to say we want, you know, equity, then, then you get true equity. Yeah, and I think that that, I, my sister, she works, she's in a, she's in accounting okay. and we have had many discussions about her, like, cause obviously she's a female in a very male dominated field. And so we have had a lot of discussions about this and the qualifications like mm -hmm. for any job in her field. And she has said to me multiple times, she's like, if I get the job simply because I'm a, I'm a female in accounting and not because of my qualifications, what does that really say about me? She's like, I want to know that I am good and that's why mm -hmm. I deserve this promotion or um, this raise or anything like that. I don't want it to just be because I am a woman. And I think you see that across yeah. all, like everything with many different um, groups of people. Mm. And like you said, how do we know, is she really like deserving or do you just want to put it out there that she is a member of all these different communities and therefore qualifies for the job, even though does she really qualify, qualify for the job? Is she actually going to do good <laughs> at the job? And I think it goes back to like working hard as something we're losing. It's just like, okay, you mm. are you're, uh, I don't know, what you you have all of those qualifications in those ways, physically, I yeah. guess you could say. But do you, in the job, will you do what you need to do for the job to excel at the job? And this, like I said, it's a conversation my sister and I have had multiple times, and she just says it's just, it is. She doesn't want to be looked at that way, yeah. and I think that that's another issue that you come about with this radical feminism because then you, I mean, at least for me, I'm like. So is it because they're worthy of this position because they're good at it? Or is it just because they're a woman? Mm. Who knows? Who yeah. Whoever will really know because you even have, she's told me, many companies that she looks at, they need to get this a certain amount of women hired a year. And we're, then we're, yep. we, you ask the question, or is it just because they're women or are they qualified? Yep. I would personally rather people taking care of my money or whatever it may be, people representing me in court or something, actually be qualified to do it rather than just representing me or taking care of my money because they're a woman. I want them to actually be good at it. Yeah. And at that point, for me, I'm like, I don't really care if you're a woman. I don't care what the color of your skin is. I don't care. whatever. If you're good at your job, then I want you to do it for me. So, and I think that's, we could run into a lot of issues as a society with that if those other types of qualifications we look for in jobs anywhere. Yeah, I think so. you've, you've just summarized the issues with identity politics and the token minority, right? Is that though the people who are in the minority ask that question about themselves. Like, and this happens on college applications too. Like, like mm -hmm. I, I know of um, a woman who is of Latina descent and she got into one of the Ivy League schools and the first thing that was said was, ah, it must be nice that they were letting you in because of the color of your skin. And it's like, no, it was actually because of the merit of her application. She had left... She had left her ethnicity off the application. Wow, that's how we know, right? And so, yeah. like, and that's that's you're you're, you're highlighting yeah. one of the key problems. Again, overcorrection. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> before we go to hot takes, I I want to see what your thoughts are on how has social media, let's especially focus in on TikTok. <laughs> how has that influenced, for better or for worse, the feminist movement? Some of the ideals, maybe self perceptions people have. I think social media across the board can be very dangerous for women especially. And I think in general, 
especially with TikTok, you see, you feel whatever it is that you feel alone in, whenever, whatever it may be. So for women, I don't know, let's just say um, you like to, I don't know, let me think of a good example here. Like maybe dress more conservative and be more cons- – but then you see women all over TikTok being a little bit more promiscuous in the way that – and you see you're hearing about many different experiences they've had with men or whatever. And then you're like, oh, well, like maybe I should – should I be doing that as well? And I think you ask this question like for anybody. If you feel alone, you turn to TikTok and you see a group of people and you're drawn to that group of people because you want to be a part of something. Mm-hmm. And I think TikTok is really dangerous in that way because it it um, is based off what you scroll on, what you like. So you will come across things more often than not if you're liking things of a certain group. Yes. You'll come across things that you want to see that they know you want to see because that's just how the algorithm works. So I think it is very dangerous for women in many different ways. And I think it could also start spreading false lies to women, especially in ways like that. So Overall, I, I, and social media has its good good aspects. It has its good parts. But I think it, it could be very dangerous, especially for younger people who don't understand a lot of this yet and, again, are just seeing that the popular view is this view. And then they're like, well, then I agree with this. And then I, I think it could be a pretty dangerous place. No, yeah, I think you're absolutely correct. And, and that does cut both ways. I mean, that's not even a gender thing. I think that mm-hmm. – um, I don't know. It, I, again, on an individual level, like it really depends how susceptible are you to that that comparison. Because again, it's not even a true comparison, right? You're you're looking at my worst day. Like, if you are incredibly depressed, down in the dumps, and then I see Nikki's off on vacation, and you know this beautiful area, I was like, okay, well that's Nikki's life. And it's probably not. You know what I mean? Like, it's <laughs> there's there people take vacations, and what do they post? Their vacations. But when I yeah. scroll through social media, that's what I see. So then I'm comparing my worst day at work to someone's mm-hmm. best day of the year. I, yeah. yeah. I, I think that social media is a blessing and a curse, right? Like we're able to collaborate mm-hmm. on these podcasts through the beauty of the internet. Uh, and that's mm-hmm. a wonderful thing. Uh, unless people, you know, dislike what we're saying, then it's a terrible thing for them. But <laughs> it's, it's, it, it brings people together, but it also opens a lot of doors. And I think, again, this is going to go back to too much of a good thing. Right. If, mm-hmm. if I, I mean, whether whether it's just you waste too much time on social media, you just doom scroll um, or whether you are coming across things that are just affecting your perspective on life. Mm-hmm. It, it, it has and, the potential to be pretty damaging. Yeah. And I think you see probably more often than not, because I like do think there's like major censoring issues going off going on across the board. You're going to more often than not see uh like different like views pushed on you Mm. and I like see it firsthand because I have like a separate TikTok for my podcast and then like my own personal TikTok and like Mm. I see very different things on my for you pages on both of them and sometimes (laughs) I just scroll for fun to see what's going to come up and like the differences and on my personal one I I follow like my uh podcast TikTok I won't I have never once seen it come across like my Mm. for you page and I often see views that I disagree with come across my for you page and I'm always like not interested not interested and like the next day I see a similar one and I'm like I just told you I wasn't interested in this but okay fine (laughs) keep pushing it so I think what you you definitely see those views push too and then like as a young woman if I wasn't like even before this we could say like two years ago when I wasn't even as into all these things as I am now like politics and I saw something like that a baby be like hmm 
that's a good point. But if I'm not like thinking about it and like looking into it and researching it, then I'm just going to like totally like fall into that trap of let me just believe it because I see it. Yeah. No, absolutely. All right. Well, we will be right back with our hot takes. All right. This is just our opportunity to plug our stuff. So if you're watching this stream, make sure that you like and subscribe. Hit that notification so that you know when we go live and when we put up new things and when we have wonderful new guests like Nikki. And also remember that you can follow our show at Between the Liars on social media. We have Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just follow us at Between the Liars. And we're going to uh, link all of your stuff um, in the description below. But uh, Nikki, where can they find you? Um, I am on every social media platform that you could think of, but I most often use Instagram and TikTok, and those are both at Red Girl in a Blue World. Okay. And uh, give them a little taste of your show because th that's that's how I found you was through your show. So what <laughs> yeah. can they expect when they go on the Nikki Spectacular? So I, as myself, starting this up, I am not like super well-versed in the area of politics. I'm just here to talk about my views and let people know who think the same way that I do uh, conservative views that they're not alone. I felt in college, I was very, um, uh, different than most because I didn't think like many other people when it came to politics. And it was hard to like talk to people that weren't like, uh, close friends who agreed with me or family members who agreed with me. And I would talk to people who I disagree with. And then it would often start right off the bat with attacks <laughs> on my character. And I didn't really know how to fight back. Mm -hmm. And then you have everything with COVID that happened and uh, whatever. So I was just like, you know what, I'm going to start this so people know they're not alone. And I hope that's mm -hmm. come through. And I don't, I don't paint myself to be somebody who's like super knowledgeable because I'm really, I'm really not. <laughs> um, and so I have, we talk about many different topics we have. So we've touched upon many different things. So, and I just have different guests come on every week. Sometimes I talk by myself, which can get a little boring, but <laughs> I try to get different <laughs> guests every week to talk about many different types of uh, topics that uh, are, I think are really important now. So yeah, that's like kind of what you can expect. It's just like really lighthearted and um, just like good discussions every week. They're super good. So you yep. should definitely tune in. They come out on thir Thursdays. <laughs> All right, tune in every Thursday. We will, again, link all of her stuff below. And if you're listening to the audio-only version, that'll be found in the description as well. And uh, lastly, remember, if you want to join us before and after the show on our normal schedules, if you want to subscribe, uh, you'll get access to our uh, bonus content through that. So, uh, all right, we're going to head back for our hot takes. All right, so I'll kick these off <laughs> because I'm the white male. No, <laughs> because we want to get <laughs> because we want to get because the power structures I get to pick. Yeah, no, but yeah. really, <laughs> actually, <laughs> in reality, I like to give the guests the last word, right? Because it's kind of your final rebuttal, right? Going back to the debate coach mm -hmm. in me, these are the last words. I don't get a chance to respond, so I like to let our our okay. guests have the last word. That's that's the true motivation, <laughs> or the way I spin it. Take that as you will. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so a couple. Um, for me, uh, number one, I think that the systemic blame that is at the core heart of the radical feminist movement winds up leading into a victim mentality in many instances. I think there's fair criticisms that are there, but I think that really it tends to have women believe that it's the system and not specific things they can control. And I touched on this last week, but one thing I really want to emphasize is just generally speaking, the studies that have been done, women tend to take the first offer on a salary and they 
tend to negotiate less than men. There are men who do the same thing, but that does account for part of the pay gap. If you think, well, they're lowballing me because I'm a woman and not because that's what they do, then you're not going to learn the skills that will actually help you in that situation. And I think that what we need is to look for now that we've, I, I think that the feminist movement has done its job of exposing the issues. Now, instead of dismantling the system, I think that really we change the system and we do that by if you are a woman who is disadvantaged in the current system, then seek out male colleagues. Like I'm one who's happy to help anyone, male or female, to better themselves, right? Like I, I coach people in argumentation and forensics, advocating for themselves. Again, the great irony why I hate conflict. But <laughs> <laughs> it's it I'm happy to work with people where I have expertise, where I, I don't know what to do. I'll refer you to people in my network that do. And I think that that would be a much, much better approach. The second big thing here, and this really comes from Nikki's point earlier, we need to be very wary of the the group perspective. Groups are good. We, we live in groups. We tend to form our own groups. We are social creatures by nature. Where it becomes dangerous, again, too much of a good thing or overcorrection, is when we only view people by their traits that they bring to the group or we boil them down to their immutable characteristics, race, sex, ethnicity, gender... Um, identity. Uh, take your pick. When that is all someone is, they, they become and they feel like a token minority and then they question, like you mentioned, Nikki, did I get this job because I'm good at what I do or did I get this job because of my immutable characteristics? And those are the things that I think are the most dangerous, ultimate evolutions that feminists can bring to the table if we're not careful. I really think we need to, to take a scalpel to this and we need to see here are the good things, here are the dangerous parts, and that'll be my hot take. Okay. I also... Uh, agree. You need to like learn the skills to excel at whatever you're doing. And that will help women excel in any field they choose. But here is my hot take. I think that as a society, we need to start appreciating the um, features of men and females, especially in females. We need to we need to like encourage females to embrace what it means to be female and why that's important in society. At a turning point convention I was at a month ago, they said this line, which has has really uh, shaped the way I now view like relationships and just like everything like that. And it was strong women create strong men. You need strong women who are strong in their femininity, who have embraced it, who have found true empowerment in that to create strong men. And I just thought that that was an amazing line, which I think if you look at it the right way can really bring true empowerment to women in which we wouldn't even need all of this feminism stuff anymore because women have found just peace in who we are and what we were made to do and how we were made physically, mentally, uh, socially, emotionally, everything like that. Because I think we bring a lot to the table and today, often, more often than not, you see people shut, wanting us to shut those qualities down. Mm -hmm. And I think it comes back to the idea of kind of tearing apart the family unit because the mother is the strongest asset of the family unit. So. That is my hot take. All right. Well, Nikki, thank you for joining us. It's been wonderful to see your evolution as a podcaster. Check out her show. Uh, you said Thursdays. Yes, Thursdays, every Thursday at 11 a.m. All right. And if you want the the, the debates, <laughs> check <laughs> us out. Uh, all right. Remember, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, YouTube, Twitch, and Google Podcasts. You can follow us on our social medias for more. Give Nikki a follow as well. And... Uh, Make sure you find yourself somewhere between the liars. Bye for now. Thanks, Ryan. Bye.